Hey there, and welcome back to yet another episode of Control Alt Azure. I'm Tobias, and I'm back again with UC. What's up? Hey, Tobias. Yet another what I've been up to lately. Happy to share the news. I haven't been up to much lately. So I'm wrapping up the year in the next couple of weeks, and overall, it's been a great year. Super busy at work, but that was intentional. Super busy at the gym, that was also intentional but much less busy at home, which was also intentional. We we built the house last year and I figured, okay, this year we'll take it a little bit more easier. We'll find the balance. We try to get rid of things in life that we don't really want to spend time on. Obviously there's stuff you have to do, but beyond that, things that do not take us closer to our goals. I might not really be there fully yet, but overall, quite happy with the year and, and, and looking forward to 2024. What about you? That sounds great. Uh, I'm going to do some year reflections, I guess, in the coming weeks as well. Um, so on my side, um, you know, I once created an auto-watering device for my Christmas tree many years ago using like a Grove Pi kit for Raspberry Pi. Uh, I built that in C Sharp, deployed it as an app to the Raspberry Pi, and then that controlled the kind of the metering components and sensors, I.O. relays, and all those kind of things. Uh, it took measurements like every five minutes uh, in the tree's bucket to de determine the moist level and the, uh, and the level of water that remains in the kind of container. Um, which was pretty good. And then I had this reporting back into Azure, which was a lot of fun. And that got me thinking, because I spent some time talking with a colleague mentioning he did something with the Christmas tree as well. I'm like, right, I did remember I had this solution. So I just brought it back to life. I tried it out. It still works. All the code works. Everything works. I don't have my storage account and event create accounts anymore. So I need to set those back up um, to, to try it out. But it got me thinking, how can I use GPT or generative AI somewhere in this solution? I'm not sure for what purpose. If it's only to send me a nice message, you know, as a notification on my phone saying, hey, Tobias, I just found out that the moist level is X percent and, you know, whatever, just to generate a nice kind of friendly message that you need to fill the water bucket, the container that actually fills your uh, Christmas tree uh, bucket or something like that. I, I'm just trying to shoehorn a reason to plug into the GPT APIs from that kind of Raspberry Pi solution. I really don't have any need for it. I just want to find a reason to try that out and see where I can leverage it and you know how that would work. This sounds awesome. It reminds me of a couple of discussions in the past six months. Hey, we have a problem can we add AI here? Now we have AI and we still have the problem. <laughs> now you have but two problems. <laughs> yes, but at least we have AI now. Uh, so today we will be talking about Azure SQL backup and recovery. So let's not talk about AI. Let's talk about gray IT backup and recovery. In a way, super boring, but I, I think the idea for the episode uh, popped up when I was working on an Azure SQL project. And part of my responsibilities was to look further into backup and recovery. And I figured, well, this will take me five minutes and then I'm done and I get to, get to do some fancy stuff with AI. But the more I sort of scratched the topic to understand more about Azure SQL backup and recovery, you could say disaster recovery, but overall backup and recovery, 
the more I understood, well, 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 hold on, there's actually quite a bit of stuff in here that I didn't really internalize. I knew it was there, but I didn't really sort of get at that level. So some findings from that, some considerations, some thoughts on, 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 on this one. Toby, any, any thoughts before we sort of dive into the details and everything else? Any thoughts on backup and recovery, especially for databases, but why not at a general level? I do have some reflections on this. So specifically for Azure SQL, I don't have a lot of reflections. And I've done it, I've used it. But for me, in my past roles, it was more on the executive level. Why do I need business continuity and disaster recovery? And you know, ultimately, why do you need to have backups? And why do you need to test your restores? So a couple of kind of top of mind things uh, there is if you need to prevent downtime, obviously, it's good to have a backup and restore solution in place. That will also uh, potentially prevent loss of revenue if you have SLAs to your customers. So more on the decision maker level, you will have kind of considerations for why this will matter, because that will guide your decision on how you implement a backup and recovery strategy later. Uh, it protects you against data loss. It protects your reputation. Again, if you're uh, serving customers and you have an SLA and your system goes down and you no longer can serve your customers, it, you know what that can be like. And like if you rely on a service and for example, in the past couple of years, every now and then identity provider from AAD went down. Even for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, nobody could sign in using new uh, signing tokens for 10 minutes. That was not great. And that happens, so you need to have kind of a plan for that. Uh, but more so, something that I worked a lot with as well is regulatory compliance. So if you follow standards like ISO 27001, SOC 2 Type 2, or any of the other kind of common regulatory requirement standards, that will usually dictate that you need to have backups and that you need to perform DR or data uh, recovery uh, exercises. And that you really need to ensure that you can properly restore and to have the routine in place for that. Because more often than not, I see people say, hey, we're making backups, so we're all good. But when the business then asks them, well, how long does it take to make a restore? And they're like, we don't know. We just we make the backups. We have the backups. But if you don't test the backups and you know that you can actually restore them into a functional state where you can actually access the data, your backup is worth absolutely nothing. So that to me, top of mind is like the reasoning behind why you want to have a proper backup and restore routine in place um, comes back to how you as a company will be perceived, but also how you as a company will succeed um, in the cloud. So I've been I've been in that seat. I've made those decisions. And I, I think it's really important, especially if you need to adhere to specific standards and you know, you know, up the chain or an investor or a stakeholder comes in and say, hey, we need to ensure that whatever happens, we can get these systems back up and running. So if all of Western Europe data center goes down for a week, this system needs to fly, which brings in the kind of multi-region when you make backups and restores, do you make backups into other regions so you can quickly enable your data to get online in a different region? Like all these considerations are part of a bigger story that we might do an episode on, which is more like the business continuity and disaster recovery. But those are my top of mind things um, when it comes to anything like this. I, I like the thinking here. And back in the day, and I know you recall those days, 
quite vividly as well. We had physical servers. We would perhaps install SQL Server. We would make a cluster, a highly available cluster. And then when you did backups, you would dump the databases and the transaction logs to the disk. And from there, a tape drive device thingy, an LTO device or something, would pick those up and store them for archival. And it was very well understood. You knew what had to be done. And often it was somebody else configuring it from there. You would configure SQL Server to dump the databases every X hours or every X minutes. That was it. And now when you go to the cloud, and I feel Azure SQL especially has been super reliable in the past, what, eight, eight years or so. Uh, but especially for critical workloads, I feel it's less about the technical exercise on how do we configure backups. And it's more about understanding the risk management, the risk model, as well as figuring out how to best configure backup and recovery for individual databases or all of your databases in there. So when we sort of dive deeper into Azure SQL specific backup and recovery, two terms come to mind, RPO and RTO. RPO recovery point objective and RTO recovery time objective. And RPO is the time an organization is willing to tolerate before being able to recover from a disaster or data loss event. An RTO is what time is required to recover. Will it take us five seconds to recover from the backups? Will it take us 20 hours or something in between? And I feel this is a theoretical exercise in the sense that each time I have a discussion on RPO and RTO with somebody who owns Azure SQL databases, they go, well, they have to be as slow as possible. Yes, so <laughs> how, how many how many people in the staff do we have who can do 24-7 maintenance and management and recovery? Well, we have none. Everybody goes home at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. All righty then, so how do we get RPO <laughs> to as low as possible? Yeah, and, and on that point, it's staff is one thing, even though you can automate a lot of that. Even automating takes time and resources, and you need to test it rigorously. And then you need to have a testing framework in place to automatically test that the actual routine works. Uh, but even so, like if you have a lower RPO, it's going to cost you more money because you're going to need more storage space. It's going to require more compute resources. It's going to require more resources in general. Um, so I think there's like coming back to when we talk about well-architected things like we do every now and then, like the well-architected framework. And uh, one of the things we see in there which is a, a really good consideration is the trade-off. There's always a trade-off between reliability, performance, security, cost, all these kind of things. Uh, and that comes in here as well. So I just wanted to make a note of that, that the recovery point objective, even though someone might say, hey, as low as possible, just consider there's a trade-off between all the other things. If you want that as low as possible, you cannot cost optimize as well as you thought you could initially because it's gonna cost you more. So there's always a conscious decision to make when you say we need it as low as possible. Precisely for Azure SQL on RPO recovery point objective, you have an option between zero to seven days. So you can recover from any failure or data loss incident within seven days of the last backup. So this is for basic tier. 
imagine you spin up an Azure SQL database in basic tier. The, the lowest price, I think it's about four euro a month, so about four dollars per month for that database. And if you now say, well, we want RPO to be 30 days, well, that's not going to happen unless you do it manually. So then when you scale up to standard and premium tiers, obviously they will cost you a bit, little bit more. Then you get up to 30 days of tolerance in, in that approach. And this is about the trade-off again. Do we want to optimize our operational cost in the cloud? Let's go for the cheapest as possible. And often that's justified. It could be an Azure SQL database that's simply for logs. We get two inserts per hour. It's mostly idling the whole database. Why would we go for a premium tier? Well, one would be RPO or some other requirement that premium would give you that basic simply doesn't give you. But enough about RPO and RTO. We have more concepts coming up. And the next one is Pitcher Point in Time Restore, P-I-T-R. So this is how long the backups that Azure takes for you will be kept. And this is from one to 35 days. Toby, do, do you feel that 35 days is enough for point in time, meaning that I want to recover my database to last week's Monday at 1.30 in the afternoon? Would you say this is enough or are, are you expecting more? So I'm going to bring back my consultancy hat here and say that depends, right? And it depends on a lot of things. By my experience, um, one thing to think about, and this is now I'm thinking outside of the box of what most people might think about backups, like you have a backup and then you have a time to recover. What I've also experienced is if you make a backup and you have a malicious data or corrupt data and you make a backup with that data, you actually restore corrupt or malicious data as well. So that can happen. So think about that when you make that conscious choice as well. Um, so I, I would say like one day, if you back up every hour and you know that you can restore within a minute or a couple of minutes, that might be enough if you have everything automated. 35 days, that is, again, it's it can feel like a long time, but it depends on your system and the complexity, how big it is, but also the business criticality, right? Is it a critical system that you really need to get back as soon as possible? Or is it an internal system that is more like, hey, it's a news system where we publish internal news and we have 500 employees, we can use Teams during that time, whatever. There's always a kind of a workaround depending on the situation. So there is not a one shoe that fits all here. Um, so I couldn't say that whether one day or 35 days will be enough or not enough. Uh, what I will say is consider all the variables. Consider that your data might be corrupt even when you back it up. Uh, just like the OneDrive protection for for ransomware and and stuff like that, right? It your files when they go into OneDrive might already be infected. So OneDrive had that protection built in to kind of clean things out. Um, that doesn't exist when you make a data backup. You just say, hey, take all my database and back it up. But if you already have corrupt data or incorrect data or someone modified your data maliciously, when you restore, you're going to get that malicious data back. Uh, so I've seen that happen where an organization says, well, we have backups. We were exposed to an attack and the attacker went in and modified our data records and we just pulled the, um, like we noticed the attack today. Let's say it's Wednesday. So we noticed the attack today, Wednesday, 
So we just rolled back to the Monday database. But the attack actually, it was discovered on the Wednesday, but they've been in the database for two weeks already and making modifications. So whatever kind of point in time restore that they pulled back, they got malicious data back. So they had to go back a month like to, to find a, a point in time before that attack actually happened. So there's also that to consider, which I just like a side note, it always depends. There is no one shoe to fit them all. So that's kind of my very spontaneous ad hoc reflection on that. I, I like the consultant approach here because it always definitely depends. One interesting discussion I had uh, some weeks ago was related not strictly to Azure SQL backups, but more on data in the cloud and who is responsible for performing that recovery should something happen. And this was related to a SharePoint site collection. So a SharePoint site collection has sites, the sites have document libraries, the document libraries have documents and files. So I had somebody ask me, why would we even look at Microsoft 365 Backup, which is the new service about to come in preview now, where Microsoft will implement backup for us. And I ask, well, well, why wouldn't you? Because obviously you would like to have backups, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we've been using Office 365, now Microsoft 365. We've been using that for 10 years. We haven't done any backups. We haven't had any issues. And we have in the contract, the enterprise contract for M365, that Microsoft is handling data recovery for up to 14 days. So this should be enough. I'm like, yeah, kind of is, but you now have the risk of Microsoft managing something for you and you have zero visibility into that one. And perhaps that is something why you need to consider the overall backup and, and recovery aspects of all the data you have in the cloud. Obviously we trust that the cloud is always there and everything will just work. But at the same time, I feel the upside is that if you take a little bit more responsibility, like now with Azure SQL backups, you at least know how to recover instead of sending a service request to Microsoft and praying for two weeks, they can actually recover something that you feel was essential. Um, the last bit here, so RPO, RTO, picture, point in time, restore. The last uh, concept is LTR, long-term retention. So you have a setting per database to define how long would you like to archive those individual backups. So you can configure weekly backups, monthly backups, and yearly annual backups. How many weeks or months or years would I like these to be archived? So Toby, what you just described with the ransomware issue, if we now find out that the point in time restore, which is up to 35 days, considering you actually configure it for that, if that is unusable, then we would look into weekly or monthly backups that are in archive and they're immutable. Nobody can modify those. So we could go back on those. Let's start five weeks from now. Let's start then three months from now. Let's try last year's annual backup that we kept from January, for example. And then we can start pinpointing a sort of a manual point in time that let's go with this. Oh, it seems it's not valid. Let's go six months longer. Oh, now it looks great. Let's come a little bit closer 
four months ago. This looks good. Let's go with this one. Not an optimal phase, but at least you have a record of everything happening in the last up to 10 years if you choose to select that option. And this is per database. So this is something you have to define in policy, in a script, manually in your operations guide for both point in time restore and the long term retention. Yeah, I think all of that makes sense. Um, so talking about recovery, uh, like we mentioned in the beginning as well, like a backup is not, it's useless if you don't know how to recover. And actually, if you don't test your recovery, it's going to be pretty useless as well. Uh, so how does that work? Uh, let's say we did the backup configuration. We did a weekly. We have the kind of uh, different uh, monthly and yearly uh, long-time retention backups set in place. Um, what else do we need to to consider? Is it time now to test our recovery or is there something else we need to do with the backup configuration before we're done? So it's time to test the recovery and keep in mind that Azure manages the backups for you. There's no scheduled task that you get to tweak. And by default, what this means is that you get full backups weekly, differential backups every 12 to 24 hours and transaction log backups every 10 minutes or so. So it's important for you to now test the recovery. And obviously this is easy if it's one database, you just recover. You can recover to the same existing Azure SQL Server instance. So we are not talking about a virtual machine running SQL Server, but the Azure SQL Platform as a Service capability where Microsoft is managing the SQL Server instance and you're just getting capacity, a fairly limited, amount of capacity for a low monthly fee. So rec test recovery against that same Azure SQL Server instance. You can change the name when you recover. The downside is that if you lose that Azure SQL Server, somebody accidentally deletes that one, you will lose your backups as well. So let's say you have 10 years of long-term retention backups. You have your <laughs> weekly, you have your monthly, you have your yearly. You have your point in time restore up to 35 days. Then somebody goes, oh, this SQL looks like this was the test one. Let's delete this one. That's gone now. And your LTR backups all gone. Yeah. So, so you need to somehow mitigate for this one as, as, as well. Have you ever accidentally deleted something in a production? I have. And, you know, I... I think I've been in the game long enough to to say that you know I've I've made mistakes I've made plenty of mistakes I've learned from them you know the the hard way uh, I have deleted something in production it's many years ago uh, when we worked on SharePoint um, you know it it was not any critical kind of workload or anything like that but I did make a, a mistake at one point and like as many of us did. Um, and that was kind of a lesson, not just for me, but also for the organization that, hey, you don't have the proper backups in place. Uh, so the instruction were, hey, we need to delete these things and we need to set something else up. We have backups. And I deleted them as per the instructions. Turns out they didn't have backups. They actually had backups of other systems, but not the, the one that we were instructed to delete. So while we were kind of following instructions, that was still a lesson learned whenever Someone comes and says, hey, you can delete whatever, and we've got backups. I'm going to 
challenge them on the backups and make sure that they actually have that and that they can testify that, hey, we actually have this. We're good to go. I sign off that you can delete this thing. Um, so yeah, I've done that. On the on this note of how to mitigate, like if you have everything in an Azure SQL Server and you delete the instance, or if that region goes down and you have a high availability scenario, uh, you obviously need to have things in a different region. But also, like I mentioned in the beginning of this episode, regulatory compliance, which again is a favorite topic of mine, worked a lot with that. If you follow um, the standards of ISO 27001 or SHOCK 2 Type 2 or any other kind of common regulatory compliance framework, that will dictate you will not get accredited or certified for that unless you back up to a different region as well. Um, so you cannot just go to SQL Server and say, hey, back up here locally in this SQL Server and, and keep the backups for me for 10 years. Because if West Europe goes down, the data is gone or the data is unavailable. Um, whenever the region comes back up, in theory, it should be there. Uh, but again, coming back to the, the requirements of the organization, not just the technical requirements uh, that if someone accidentally deletes the Azure SQL Server, which obviously is not great, there are things you can do to prevent that. You can put a resource lock on it and stuff like that. But again, still can happen. Someone can just execute a PowerShell by mistake, if you will. Oh, this removed all the locks and then accidentally deleted it. Um, so I, I'd, I'd say just consider the kind of business requirements around this because that will guide your decisions on how to implement the long-term retention. If you need to make that backup file, if you need to offload it to a different region, if you need to keep backups locally in your data center, if you have one on-premises, um, you know, all those decisions will be guided by kind of the organizational principles and guidelines that you have. For example, if you're following regulatory compliance frameworks. Precisely, well said. For one easy mitigation to avoid somebody deleting the, the Azure SQL instance is to simply add a cannot delete lock on, on, on the objects or the resources in Azure. So you can apply this with a policy or you can do it manually or in your deployment templates. Just add the lock that nobody can delete it. Because then when you actually need to delete it, then you can modify the policy or you can remove the lock manually when you actually know what, what you're going to be deleting. The other option is to export the databases frequently, perhaps once a month, export the database. There's a special file format for this, the backpack file. And then you can offload those into a different region, different subscription, on-premises, USB stick, whatever. But at least you have one offsite backup, perhaps monthly or weekly, that you can do, and you can automate this. Uh, to recover, assuming the same Azure SQL Server is still there, meaning that your backups and, and, and LTR files are still in there, you can recover to the same Azure SQL Server instance. You can provision a new one, recover there. And if you have the backpack file, you can import that one to any Azure SQL Server. The hard limit for that one, though, is 20 hours, meaning that when you're importing from a backpack file, the, the recovery job cannot run longer than 20 hours. And I saw a quote from Microsoft for the amount of megabytes per hour that they can crunch with this, and it's not an amazing amount. So if you have a database of terabytes, then the backpack approach simply will not run at all, unless you can recover 
to an on-premises SQL, for example, and then migrate back to the cloud from there. So plenty of things to consider in the recovery aspect. And obviously the assumption will always be that the Azure SQL will be there, the Azure region will be there, but if they're not, make contingency plans just in case things eventually might fail. Yep, this all sounds good. So how, let's assume now you've done the backup configuration, you think you have a recovery strategy. How do you now make sure that backups actually happen? Can you monitor this so you don't have to go into the system every day and say, oh, okay, yeah, the night the backup ran. How do you monitor for that? Because obviously all the backup systems or all the services provide, usually provide some kind of insights into the last successful backup, did the backup job run, things like that. Is that something we have a capability for here? So my foolish assumption was that I could just go to Azure Monitor, I could create a new alert, and there would be like in the drop down menu, alert me if the number of backups in the last 24 hours is less than one. But there simply isn't something like this. So the only way I could find was to construct a fairly simple T-SQL query, meaning a SQL, SQL statement against a uh, DMV, I think it's a dynamic management view, uh, for sys.dm database backups. So you execute a query, you get a response back on the recent backups, the, the full backups, the differential ones, the transaction log ones, and then you parse from that, is the timestamp fresh enough that we do not have to react to this one. But now you have a problem, you have to schedule that query, and then if it fails, you have to schedule the alerting mechanism. So that could be Azure Monitor, it could be Logic Apps, it could be Azure Automation, but you have to craft and build this or use a third-party tool for this one. And it's a bit sad that Azure Monitor doesn't simply have this built in for you. Alrighty, I, I think that was all we had for this one. Not a lot of links in the show notes. There's one I found on well-architected framework on disaster recovery and planning in general. It, it applies to everything we've spoken about today. And then there's brief guidance on Microsoft Learn on, on how to do this, but it's, it's a little bit limited. I was, I was perhaps expecting more. So a lot of the things we've discussed today, they are findings that you find when you're actually building something like this and you go, oh, this is how it works. So let's let's jot this down in my in my notes so I know in the future how this is going to work. Okay, the last bit, the unexpected question. And Toby, I will be asking you the question. Are you ready? Okay, let's go. Would you rather fight one horse-sized duck or 30 duck-sized horses? <laughs> That's a great question. We had that one, actually. I know we had this maybe a year ago. I don't remember what the answer by then was, and I think I asked you by then. Uh, so that's a nice return. Um, I'd probably go with 30 duck-sized horses. So imagine this. It's like a mini horse derby, and I'm the <laughs> kind of oversized jockey. And also, I could potentially train them to do synchronized dancing. So imagine that view. So that's that's going to be my answer. I think that it's it's a lot easier to manage you know, 30 tiny horses than it is one giant duck. Because you know, how, if you don't have enough bread to feed the duck, it's going to kill you. 
right? So and, I, I think, uh, yeah, 30 duck size horses. Yeah, I like this. And and what what we typically do is once we're done with the question, we jot that down in OneNote, and then I can scan later on, well, have we had this one? Perhaps it wasn't a duck, perhaps it was something else, because I did search for a duck and we <laughs> couldn't find it. But also in this about four years that we've been doing the show, I think this is the third or fourth OneNote file that we're using because at some point in time, OneNote simply breaks the synchronization of the file. So then we have to create a new file. We don't migrate the, the archivals. We just keep them as them elsewhere. So it could be that that in the past 18, 24 months that we've had this OneNote, it wasn't in there, but perhaps before that. But I like the answer though. Alrighty, thanks for joining us. See you next week. All right, see you then.